This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome, Monsters and Mixers listeners, to our fourth full-length episode. If you are a returning listener, thank you for spending some time with us again today. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Emma. And I'm Amy. And we're your hosts here to deliver weekly stories about all things paranormal and true crime. So today, uh, our drink that we're going to have, because you know we're Monsters and Mixers, is called an Indiana Bulldog. And you can find the recipe on our Facebook page if you haven't done so yet. It is pretty easy to make and we're going to be making one right now actually two right now while we um, discuss a few things talk about the drink and whatnot so we're going to use one ounce of cherry vodka because we had some from one of our mixers we made before so ours is going to be more like a cherry coke so i'm going to put in a shot of cherry vodka yeah and this recipe sounds disgusting we haven't tried it yet, so I am hoping it's not. Anything that involves milk right. and alcohol freaks me out. I do not. And I'm not sure why all of the recipes we look up always have milk in them. Yeah, so this is, like she said, it's one ounce of vodka and then one ounce of coffee-flavored liqueur, like Kahlua is what we're using. And then you do a third cup of milk and a third cup of Coke, <laughs> which literally sounds mm. so gross. It's really similar to a white Russian, only with Coke. And there, it's actually, I've heard of some people calling it a Colorado Bulldog, too. I mean, everybody thinks they have a recipe they invented, but they're not 100% sure. I mean, it doesn't look terrible right yet. No, it looks like iced coffee. I'm a, I am not a milk drinker, so all of these recipes that we've been finding that go along with our stories, you know, that's, sorry, that's, that's our thing, that's what we try to do have been torturous for me because I don't do milk and cereal, milk and cookies. I don't like milk. Yeah. I like milk, but I don't like it with liquor. Yeah. And pardon me, I'm going to open the Pepsi. Okay. So you use a third of a cup of milk and then cola. We're using Pepsi because I like Pepsi better than Coke. Controversial. No, they're not a sponsor, but I wish they were. <laughs> All right. It's looking okay though. It looks like a root beer float. kind of does look like a root beer float. Give it a little swirl. We'll see how this goes. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Damn, that's tasty. I actually really like that. Mm. It's not bad. I'll, I'll drink it, but I <laughs> don't know if I'm going <laughs> to have another one. 
I didn't think it was that the bad. The fizz is strange. Actually, I kind of, I kind of dig it. Just don't look at it. I'm oh gonna. Gosh, why is it <laughs> separated already? Oh yeah, kind of curved. Well, mine's not. Start more. Okay. All right. Well, now that we have um, <laughs> given you another delicious drink, actually, it's not bad. I think most people will like it. It's not horrible. It tastes mainly like Kahlua. I can taste like the cherry a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think I'm just tasting coffee. I mean, it kind of tastes like a cherry coke with a splash of coffee. It's not, it's not terrible. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Uh, yeah. But it's literally one of three drinks that I could find that go along with Indiana, which is the location of the story we're speaking of today. And so I didn't really have much of a choice. It was the tastiest looking one that I could find. Yeah. But uh, today we're going to be discussing one of my favorite weird paranormal stories probably ever. Um, and that is the story of the infamous Demon House in Gary, Indiana. It's sometimes referred to as the 200 Demon House due to multiple mediums and psychic claims that over 200 demons preside in the home. If you guys are at all familiar with, we've mentioned him many times before, Zach Bagans or Ghost Ventures, and you've probably heard of this story or you have seen the Demon House movie that is on Discovery Plus or Discovery Channel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I recommend. It's like a documentary style film. Um, I recommend it. And it's pro- it is one of my personal favorites, and it is truly haunting to hear about, even if you're a bit of a skeptic. Yeah. And if you haven't read it then or watched it, then you'll be getting firsthand information from us, and then you can go watch it, and then you'll just be able to put the whole puzzle together. It is one of those stories that makes everyone, skeptics or believers, um, take a step back and seriously question reality. It's also one of my favorites, like Emma said, and together I think we've seen the Demon House movie three times by now. Yeah, we actually just watched the newly released uncut version a couple days ago. I think it came out last week. It was like the uncut and uncensored footage, um, and I love it. I love it a lot, even if it's a little hokey or, you know, how it goes with the paranormal investigators. They play it up a little bit, but it's very enjoyable to watch. It's scary. It's well-made. It's very good. And uncut just means cursing and a little extra footage, but mostly just a lot of... Yeah, so yeah. I have to say bad words. I, I do think that it, I found it to be a little scarier, though, even though it was just the cursing, because it showed the actual raw emotion that I think sometimes gets cut out of those kind of shows when they're trying to make them for a TV, PG-13 audience. Yeah. yeah. So I do think when we watched the uncut version even though we'd seen the other a couple of times I found it to be a little scarier because they really there were times when they were really pretty freaked out Mm -hmm. and so we're going to dive right into the story the demon house or the Ammons haunting case is an alleged haunting or demonic (laughs) not dynamic possession which occurred at a small home in Gary Indiana in 2011 Um, It is worth mentioning that at one time, Gary, Indiana, held the title of murder capital of the United States. And I only say it's worth mentioning because if you think about all that residual energy that's potentially negative uh, with those murders and things, it is possible that maybe that's what sparked the paranormal activity. Or it is also possible that maybe the negative energy um, drew something to the area. I don't know, but either way, when LaToya Ammons, her mother Rosa Campbell, and 
her three children, not Rose's, but Latoya's children moved in. They claimed to have an overwhelming amount of paranormal activity occurring in the residence. And it wasn't until much later when the story received national attention in 2014 that people really became aware and it was publicized. The story begins in November of 2011 when Latoya, her mother, and her three children, then ages 7, 9, and 12, moved into a house located at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Within days of them moving in, they claimed that hordes of black flies swarmed their porch in December and kept returning even after the family believed they were killed. Um, If you live in the Midwest or anywhere where you get very cold and snowy winters, you will understand that it's pretty strange to see massive amounts of any bug, really, Um, especially flies, which are usually, when I think of flies, I think of summertime and like pools and stuff like that um, outside during this time. Yeah, that's super weird. And if there wasn't a source, um, a feeding source, flies really are only located around things that they can feed off of, like dead animals, trash, or things like that. So to have a massive swarm of flies that just keeps coming back would definitely be a cause for alarm. And it was not too long after the weird incident with the flies that Rosa started to hear footsteps in the basement and doors creaking. Later, she alleged to have been awakened when she felt a strange presence. You know how it is when you're sleeping and something just feels off and it wakes you up. As she got up, she peered out of her bedroom door and was scared and startled when she saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing in the living room. That understandably scared her and she ran back to her bedroom where she stayed until the next morning when she woke up and went to investigate the living room. When she got there upon inspection, she found a mysterious muddy boot print. Um, Rosa also claims to have been choked by an unknown force at some time during her tenure at the house. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how weird it is to just find one single boot print. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you have two feet. Most people have two feet. Um, and if you're walking with muddy boots, at least you'd expect to have two. Or if one boot is muddy, at least multiple from that shoe that would be on the floor. But there was only one, which is strange. A trail of some kind going right. from one area to another. That's weird. Um, I feel like the footsteps in the creeks could easily be explained away outside of her seeing, um, actually seeing a physical manifestation. But, like, old houses creak, especially in the winter. They're settling a lot. You have heat on. So houses make uh, weird noises all the time. But if she really did see the shadowy figure and experience being choked by an unknown force, that is an entirely different story. That is terrifying and cannot be so easily explained away. No. Um, But however, it gets crazier. And one night around 2 a.m., family and friends were gathered at the demon house to mourn the loss of someone close. According to LaToya, she went to check on her kids only to find her 12-year-old daughter unconsciously levitating above the bed. They were said to have, without hesitation, gathered around her and prayed until the girl returned to her bed. Um, (laughs) Now, (laughs) maybe this is just because I'm not really the religious type. I'm not one to, like, pray immediately when something tragic happens. But if I woke up to my friend, because her friend was in the room as well, so her friend woke up, saw that happening, uh, the daughter's friend. If I walked into a room in which my 12-year-old daughter was levitating, like physically levitating off of a bed, fully asleep, like not jumping, nothing. She's asleep, levitating. I think the last thing on my mind would be to start praying. 
I would probably say, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And get the hell out of there as I probably peed myself because that sounds absolutely horrifying. That is inexplicable. Like, you can't... No. You have a 12-year-old girl just floating in the middle of a room. I think my first instinct would be to grab my somewhere <laughs> and, like, try to push her back down on the right. bed. But, yeah, I definitely don't think I would be um, called upon to pray. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I get... People who are strong in their yeah, religion and devout. Or different folks. That but. being the first thing that they would do. I agree with Emma. That is an utterly terrifying thing. And it kind of reminds me of that old game, the light as a feather, stiff as a board mm-hmm. thing, where, you know, you put your finger on people, under people and levitate them. Although there were no fingers under her. She was just floating in <laughs> midair. And that is definitely not something you see every day. I, um, I don't know. I feel like... There's lots of reasons why they would have reached out and gone immediately spiritual, especially if you had the other things happening with the footsteps and whatnot. And a lot of really religious people do immediately go, their brain goes to it's a demon or a possession. And so that makes sense to me. But um, the really weird thing about it is that when the young lady was asked about the incident, she had literally no memory of anything happening, which she shouldn't have because she was asleep or unconscious or whatever. But it was, I guess, the kick in the ass that the family needed to get them motivated to seek outside help to try and figure out what exactly was going on in their house and how to make it better. Yeah, at this time, they contacted a few local churches who refused to help. Um, but did offer some not-so-helpful suggestions of cleaning the house with ammonia and bleach throughout and drawing crosses on every door. They were also told to create a makeshift altar in the basement. And bathe the children in olive oil, which sounds messy and would wreck your bathtub. (laughs) I feel like they got some really bad advice, and I want to circle back to something real quick. Please, if you're having... Any weird happenings in your house, do not clean with bleach and ammonia at the same time. That was really bad advice. You will literally create a toxic chlorine chlorine gas gas in your house and ghosts will no longer be a problem for you because you will be one. It will kill you. Yeah. So um, it's not the best advice. So kids, do not try this at home, please. Um, So get back on a serious note. The torment of the poor children did not stop after the levitation from the bed. And the older son was allegedly thrown across the room by an unknown force. And the younger son had a moment in which his eyes rolled back into his head and began to growl as he said, It's time to die and I will kill you to his family members, which was really, um, from what the family said, really weird behavior for him he was a very sweet young man after trying all the things advised to her and realize reali- realizing it wasn't helping at all um duh i don't know how i mean outside of like the making a salad in your and stuff like that yeah i don't see how that would help and it honestly probably really sucks that they reached out to churches and got denied by all of them that was probably really scary and isolating um but latoya decided to contact two clairvoyants who claimed the house was possessed by more than 200 demonic spirits and this gives it the name of the 200 Demon House. Um, you may wonder why they stayed in this supposed hell house. Uh, the family at this time didn't have enough money to break their lease and had no other choice but to stay, try to fix it, and tough it out. Yeah, which I get. As someone who has had paranormal experiences in a new home, which we've talked about in our Spritzer episodes, 
So if you haven't listened to those, go and listen to them and you'll know what I'm talking about. I can completely understand how trapped someone would feel in a house because that happened to us. The haunted things started happening when we had just moved in here. Um, we'd used all of our money to pay our down payment and moving in general, even if you're not buying a house, just renting is expensive with all the deposits and everything. I mean, you need a good two or $3,000 in order to make a move. And so they just didn't have the money to do that at the time and had to stay. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it was hard and the family being stuck there is exactly why it was at this time that Latoya began to exercise the home on her own. She did everything from only wearing white to burning sage to reading Bible verses out loud. Uh, naturally, as things typically do in these situations, nothing got better. It worsened tremendously. Yeah, that's usually never good advice to try and do something spiritual to your house on your own. If you don't know what you're doing, it usually makes things a hundred times worse. So seek guidance if you have something going on don't try to tackle it all alone which she did she did everything right and it's really sad uh, latoya claims to have found her children speaking in tongues with bloodshot eyes and as it seems to be in almost any good scary story they were said to have just been sitting or staring at her with like these really sinister grins on their faces and i don't know why this is always the case but it literally scares the hell out of me to think about anybody sitting with like that evil smirk and I know you guys know which one I'm talking about um I too like I said earlier have had that experience um I think my question is more so why do ghosts or demons or whatever the hell this is or was or whatever um have to mess with people so much by smiling those creepy smiles is it like some universal known that it's gonna really freak people out I don't I don't understand I don't know I mean and I guess we're to assume like especially even when you look at like Hollywood and scary movies like paranormal activity like one of the scariest parts of that movie is when Katie like is deep into a possession and just like looks into the camera and is smiling because right I'm assuming we're supposed to take from that that whatever it is that is inhabiting like these people feels like it's doing its job yeah. when it's scaring them or it's like I know this is going to scare you or I know I'm getting my way right now maybe so I'm gonna smile about it because I'm not scared yeah it's a very bold thing to do yeah um but the there's a as she mentioned the spritzers before and how it's kind of similar to our own story but there's another part of this story that is also strangely reminiscent of our own and that is that Latoya claimed that her youngest son began to lock himself in his closet and have full conversations with a boy that no one had ever physically seen. That's um, creepy as hell. Yeah. I mean, children are... I feel like oftentimes in, like, stories of haunted places, children are always the scariest part because they're really susceptible and not always afraid of things, so... Yeah. They're, when their behavior's off, it's scarier. But um, around April, Latoya had given up and decided to seek help from a physician... And during their visit with said physician, the two sons cursed the entire staff. And this isn't just like hearsay either. It, there's an official report that was filed by the Department of Child Services and the police. And this report stated that one of the boys had been thrown against a wall, once again by an inexplicable unseen force, and that after the incident, the boys passed out and were hospitalized. And it's at this point that things began to get a little out of hand, like beyond the realm of like 
one person cannot do this on their own. Super crazy. crazy. Yeah. Latoya's youngest son kept growling and telling his brother that he was going to kill him and he would headbutt him in the stomach, I guess, like, as an attempt to hurt him. And according to one of the caseworkers with DCS, her name was Valerie Washington, um, they were in the room with the Ammons during their trip to the hospital. And this is probably the craziest part of all of this. But uh, it, definitely the craziest yeah. part. I, this is so Because it's on record, which is very rare. Um, but Valerie claims that they witnessed the youngest boy walk up the wall backwards in the hospital, nope. make it to the ceiling, and then flip over to land back on his feet. Um, and due to these events, DCS saw an emergency order and removed the children from the home. Yeah, and when he was doing his walk-up-the-wall acrobatics, he literally, like, was holding on to his grandma's hand, like, because she was trying to calm him down, and was able to do all of this while maintaining constant, like, hand-holding with his grandma and, like, landed on the opposite side of her. And all of the hospital workers and the DCS worker and everybody were there witnessing this happening. So it's not just the family saying that, like Emma said, like, legitimate authority figures were in this room and were literally terrified by what happened and ran out of there. Um, so being completely freaked out by the events, and understandably so because that is some scary-ass shit, the hospital chaplain contacted a priest to f perform an exorcism on one of the children, and he reached out to Father, Father Michael Maginot, who was a priest at St. Stephen's Martyr Parish in Maryville, Indiana, and he was asked to perform an exorcism on the nine-year-old. Shortly after this, he came to the family to visit because you can't just willy-nilly be doing exorcisms. You have to investigate. And he wanted to make sure that there was actually something that warranted him doing an exorcism on the child. During his visit, he also experienced a considerable amount of paranormal activity. The reverend claims that he saw muddy footprints appear on the floor just like Rosa had said that night um, after she got woken up by the shadow figure and that lights would begin to flicker like off in the bathroom and things so he would see a light flickering when they were talking about something paranormal and as he would get closer to it the flickering would stop almost like whatever it was was kind of afraid of him being a religious man getting close to it and it didn't just happen one time and it didn't just happen in one room it happened all throughout the course of their investigation in different parts of the house. Um, after he was done with his initial investigation, he stated that he did, in fact, believe that there were ghosts in the house, and he also believed there were demons in the house. His investigation of only four hours also led to him concluding that not only was one or more of the children possessed, but Miss Ammons, or Latoya, was as well. He quickly put a crucifix against her head to begin the rites of exorcism. And during this time, she could not stop convulsing and was physically agitated by the close proximity of the crucifix to her body. His final recommendation was for the family to leave the demon-infested home and seek refuge somewhere else. But still, they could not. They were trapped in this house. And because of the events that had transpired at the hospital and the kids missing a considerable amount of school, something that Miss Ammons had been in trouble for previously as well, DCS was called to the house to investigate the living conditions of the home. And when asked about why they hadn't gone to school, Miss Ammons had said they were tired, they were exhausted, they were being kept up all night. You know, the whole family was just mentally and physically exhausted. And 
you know how hard it is, those of you who are parents and those of you who are students, to drag yourself out of bed and go to school when you haven't been able to sleep one night, let alone multiple, multiple nights. So the kids were so tired that they literally just weren't going to school anymore. The whole family was kind of staying together. They felt more comfortable all together. Um, it just was an all around bad situation. So when DCS came, it was Valerie Washington who was the case manager from the hospital. And she was a little leery. Um, I'm sure being a female DCS worker, you probably don't like to do a lot of calls on your own. So she asked for some officers to accompany her on her visit. And so she got three officers to come. One was from Lake County, one was from Gary, and one was from Hammond. And they all joined her on what they called a professional curiosity trip. So they were like, mm, you know, I kind of want to go and see what this is all about. And one of the officers who they utilized was Officer Charles Austin, who sadly I learned while doing this research, he passed away in May of 2021. He went in um, to visit believing that there were ghosts in the world, but he had no belief in demons. And he even has been quoted as saying before he went there that he thought Latoya and her family concocted an elaborate tale of demon possessions and supernatural occurrences as a way to make money. Um, that did not last very long though, that opinion. And shortly after his visits, he was a full-fledged believer in everything that she was saying. And we are going to take a short little break, refill our drinks because despite what Emma's saying, these are delicious. I like them. And then we'll come back and we'll finish our story talking about what happened when Officer Austin and the other people investigated the house. So, BRB. Okay, we're back. We're gonna pick up right where we left off, which was when Officer Austin was investigating. He stated in a police report that he'd seen and heard unexplainable things, such as his flashlight flickering uncontrollably in the basement until it eventually turned off by itself, and which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was to him, especially considering that he had just replaced the batteries in it that morning and it worked completely fine until he got there. He also took pictures of the basement and said he could see a cloud of some sort that resembled a human face and recorded audio where you can supposedly hear someone whispering, hey. Not only that, but Charles said that he thinks he brought something back with him. On his way home, his driver's seat kept moving back and forth aggressively and was so bad that it actually broke the motor on his seat. Yeah. Um, and Father Maginot was not deterred by the claims of Officer Austin, and he decided to continue his investigation. He was especially curious about the basement of the home and became convinced that there might have been a dead body buried under the stairs. Such he felt this body could be the catalyst for the paranormal activity, which many were beginning to characterize as like poltergeist-level activity. Police dug a hole under the stairs to search for any human remains, um, however, they only found a few other incredibly disturbing things in the dirt, which included a pair of women's underwear, socks, a drapery cord, and a cooking pan. And unless someone was cooking under the stairs and their panties and their socks when they spontaneously combusted, 
That is some sick, weird shit that they found under those stairs. Yeah, it's super random. And the family's other DCS case manager, Samantha, she was also present during this investigation and claimed to have felt her pinky go numb after she touched a random sticky substance that was found in the house. This substance was also allegedly found dripping from the blinds in one of the bedrooms. Um, however, the source of it could not be found. And the officers on site like cleaned it all up. They sealed the room for 25 minutes and stood outside to make sure that no one went inside. Just to see, like, is this coming from something, like, someone putting it there to, like, dupe us right now? Right. Or is this, like, a legitimate thing that's dripping that we can't find the source of? And when they went back into the room that was sealed off, they discovered that the liquid had begun to drip again. And they could not find, like, a source. Like, there wasn't, like, a hole in the wall or, like, some random, like, there was nothing. They could not find where this liquid was coming from. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Despite having his initial request to perform an exorcism denied... Father Maginot eventually performed three exorcisms on LaToya Ammons. He did two in English and one in Latin. During the two-hour rite of exorcism, which was a minor rite, due to the, the decline of the church to allow a full exorcism. So eventually he went rogue and did it on his own. But you can't do a major rite of exorcism unless you have the full backing of the church. So he did the minor rite, and during that time the uh, lady from the DCS was present. She is said to have left believing that something was absolutely going on with the family, but she was still hesitant to say that it was demonic. She is quoted as saying, we felt like someone was in the room with us, someone breathing down our neck. After the minor rite, Father Maginot was finally granted permission by his bishop to fully exercise the Ammons. I guess they finally started believing enough to do it. So, like I said before, this ritual is the same as the minor, but it is thought to contain a little more power behind it because it does have the full backing of the Catholic Church. And I guess there's some religious, like, idea that when the full church comes behind what you're doing, it just packs a wallop. So, Father Magino continued to help LaToya rid herself of these demons even after the family eventually moved to Indianapolis with they all moved together Latoya and the kids and her mom no she just moved with her mom she didn't have the kids back oh that's right my bad sorry she um returned to Gary for court hearings um and Father Maginot actually said that she was clear of any demonic possession at that time which like Emma said is how she finally then got the children returned back to her custody yeah um to me some of the scariest things about this case are the events that transpired to the people working on it after they left the house so after they were like no longer physically in the house, um, things lingered and caused some like traumatic health issues for a lot of people. Um, Samantha, the lady that we talked about earlier who had her pinky like go numb after she touched that weird substance, she said that um, she got into a really bad motorcycle accident within 30 days of the exorcism. And this motorcycle accident resulted in third degree burns on like I think her leg, her thigh, and her like her hip. Um, and she also, in unrelated incidents, broke three ribs and her hand shortly after. And this is within, like, 30 days of that, crazy. that happening, being in the presence of the exorcism. Um, Officer Austin, as we, we talked about him earlier, he was walking to his patrol car one day when he slipped so hard on an unseen patch of ice that he knocked himself unconscious and had to be transported to the hospital. Um, this alone doesn't seem that weird because i mean people fall on ice all the time uh but 
given that like so many weird things have happened to as we're going to go on to tell you other people that were involved in this it's not out of the realm of possibility that this also was in junction with him his presence in the house yeah. um things only got weirder when zach of ghost ventures purchased the home and decided to do his own in-depth investigation with his crew yeah and emma didn't want me to mention this um as a connection because she she doesn't think it's a connection but i feel like um there there's enough weird things that have happened with this story that it warrants at least mentioning and you can draw your own conclusions um officer austin not only had that weird thing happen with his car and things and all the other things that happened but he was also shot during a home invasion in january of 2017 and it may seem like it's a string of bad luck but i feel like it's really suspicious um considering his connection to the demon house he did survive the shooting but as i mentioned earlier he did pass away as of may 2021 um, i looked up his obituary when we were doing the research for this and i can't didn't see a cause of death but it did say that he was um peaceful when he passed away so he was 69 i would assume when i see read peacefully passed away that it was natural causes or due to some underlying illness but i don't know 100 percent yeah um shortly after the story hit the news and began to gain some traction in the media the house came to the attention of ghost ventures host zach Bagans. he immediately bought the house for thirty-five thousand dollars to investigate it this investigation is what we now know of today as a documentary film titled Demon House. Um, Zach describes this as the quote-unquote case that really fucked me up. So this is something that has lingered with him for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And at the opening of the documentary, in true Zach Bagan's fashion, this sentence follows a warning on screen that reads, Demonologists believe that demons can attach themselves to you through other people, objects, and electronic devices. View at your own risk. Um, he's even gone as far to say that he believes the house doesn't just house any demons, but the upper echelons of the hierarchy of demons. Um, in other words, he believes that the most powerful demons that there are are residing in that home. The Ammons family wanted absolutely no part of the house in his investigation, so they refused to speak to him about their experiences, um, but his own experience inside turned out to be more than enough evidence for him. Yeah, even before the filming began, Zach reported that he was visited by a goat demon in his sleep. And for those of you who are familiar with Ghost Adventures, you know that Zach has had quite a past with paranormal activities and things like that. So he definitely is a firm believer, and he also believes a lot in signs. So he believed that this visit of the goat demon was a sign or a message that something terrible was going to happen to him if he went through with the investigation. And they did it anyway. Throughout the filmmaking process, several people in connection to the filming had traumatic things happen to them. One of the investigators that Zach called in to help him was hospitalized due to total organ failure after he just did a walkthrough and he was only in the house for a few hours. And he speculates that he thinks that he probably would have died if he would have stayed in there longer. And when we say total organ failure, like he went to the hospital, his kidneys were failing, his liver was failing, all of these major organs were failing, and there was nothing physically wrong with him that they could find that he didn't have a virus, he didn't have a disease. There was no reason for any of this to be happening to the man. His body was just shutting down. and. 
I mean, he continued to be sick for quite a while. And in one of the crazier turn of events, probably the craziest, one of his own film crew personnel completely, totally lost his shit on camera. Like, had an epic meltdown. And he quit mid-filming. And it got way stranger for him afterwards because he went on to fully immerse himself in the world of the occult and literally never spoke to Zach again, never spoke to anybody else. And there was this one point in the filming where this particular crew member is just staring into the elevator, like screaming at something that's not, no one else can see at the time. And literally like agitated, like nothing else. It was crazy. And when Zach asked him about it later, he kind of cryptically, it was kind of scary, actually said, um, I think you know what I saw in there. And Zach was like, what are you talking about? What did you see in there? And he says he saw the goat-headed demon in the elevator. And what's really creepy about that is Zach hadn't told anybody about that dream. So that's the guy who went completely crazy. Also, um, I think it's worth noting that, like, if you watch this, you can see, like, what happens with him is... The only thing, way that I can describe it is, like, a, just a straight-up mental breakdown. Right. Um, and the events that, like, led up to this happening, he's on... He's seen on camera. Yeah. Um, he had, like, some weird... Zach got, like, really angry and had to leave the house, and he stayed inside. And he's seen in, like, one of the hidden cameras um, laying down because he looks like in he's, like, basement. exhausted. Well, not yet. He, like, oh, lays down right. upstairs, and he just looks tired. And um, you can see him, like, look towards like the stairs of the basement and he just like walks into the basement walks downstairs completely by himself i mean this basement is horrifying yeah, like um dirt full i would not want to go down yeah. there by myself and they hadn't really gone down there by themselves up until this point and he goes down there and just kind of like walks through with like creepy as shit like not saying anything like he knows the cameras are down there he clearly does not care and then afterwards when they're at the hotel literally that night he is like screaming at the top of his lungs like they almost got kicked out of the hotel because he was acting so reckless like trying to fight people and it's at this and time he's a big intimidating looking guy yeah, anyway it's dude. at this time that the guy that we just talked about who had like total organ failure he was upstairs in like his own hotel room and that was the night in which he started getting like feeling crappy like feet like mm -hmm. pain he started feeling horrible and like the next day he was in the hospital so um there was just a bunch of a bunch of shit happening with all of them where tensions were really high, people were angry, people were getting sick. It was just horrible. Yeah, and as if that stuff isn't creepy enough, the probably most horrific thing of all was that one of Zach's fellow paranormal investigators um, and one of his really good friends, Debbie Constantino, who had been collaborating with him on tons of other things, she just felt compelled one day to call and do a remote session. So she was doing a remote investigation. And not too long after that, uh, she was found murdered in an apparent murder-suicide during the making of the movie. So there's a lot of bad juju, um, whatever you believe in, knock on wood, what associated with that house and with the making of the movie and things. And, you know, we'll probably do a possessed, or not possessed, but a cursed objects cursed movies episodes sometime soon because this would definitely fall into there but it's a common theme when you're doing a demonic 
investigation or even just talking about it or making movies around it for things to happen. And it's really, really tragic and sad that Debbie got pulled into this whole thing. Yeah, and uh, the traumatic health issues did not stop with everyone else. Like, they went on to the end of the case and or the investigation and the end of the investigation ends with Zach um, locking himself inside of the home so the doors are boarded up from the outside the windows are boarded up he cannot get out unless he is let out and he does this overnight investigation by himself um, and he just wants to see if he can get any real proof of his own and if you know anything about him he's like I want to confront this head on <laughs> like fuck you um, but yeah, he's trying to come face to face with what's been terrorizing him in his dreams and also the people of the house and all who come in contact with it. Um, so he's awoken. He falls asleep after some weird stuff goes on, just like hearing some stuff. I mean, once again, old house by himself in the winter. But uh, he falls asleep and he's awoken to this like, sounds honestly when you watch it and you hear it, it sounds like a pig. Yeah, it's really like, like a, boar. a wild boar, mm-hmm. like snarling. And it's loud, like super loud. And it obviously scares him awake, and he's terrified, and he's, like, backed into a corner, and he's like, get away from me. Like, back off. Um, and that transpires to a shot of him in the kitchen, I believe, and he's, like, doubled over in pain. Like, his head hurts super bad. He has this, like, horrible, like, stabbing pain behind his eyes, and he said that he couldn't see. Like, he felt blind. Um, so he now has a permanent case of diplopia which is double vision and he has to wear those big goofy prism glasses all the time because the eye surgeons that he's gone to said that if they do any kind of like corrective surgery on his eye like there's a pretty high chance that he will come out of it completely blind so he hasn't done any um, surgery on his eye but that moment caused him to have like permanent double vision that he did not have at all before that it's just so crazy. And no symptoms that indicated that right. was going to happen. I, I know. mean, he always wore contacts and glasses, mm-hmm. but I wear contacts and glasses. I don't expect to yeah. wake up with double vision tomorrow. I hope Yeah, I don't even that. know what, like, necessarily causes that, but... It's... I try to do, like, some stuff, but it's a lot of medical jargon. But I think it's essentially just from, like, some pressure and weird, like, wiring, miswiring in your head. Um, but, yeah, after this investigation... He had the house demolished. <laughs> he Which, wanted no part of it. He was like, this needs to go away forever. Yeah, and there was another article that I was reading that I didn't get to dive too much into, but there are some people that say that even though the house is gone, that there's still some crazy things happening around that area. Oh, yeah, and even in, like, the end of the documentary, he says that, like, even though the house is demolished, um, I'm assuming probably a lot of rambunctious teens oh yeah uh, they go to like the empty lot where like the dirt is there and they will do like rituals and stuff and like try to make contact with things um i like how you say rambunctious teens it'd probably be somebody like me but i like to um go and investigate into some places what oh my gosh why are you making so oh, much oh i'm noise? sorry i got sticky stuff on my hands oh my god my bad so unprofessional um but yeah, I got caught up in the moment. But um, it's not like he demolished it and was like, "I want no part of this." Of course, he's a fucking freak. So he took a barrel, like a paint barrel, full of the dirt and the soil from the demolition of the house, and also I think the altar from downstairs. Yeah. So even if he was like, "I'm trying to rid this town of 
the demons or whatever, he still has physical manifestations of that house in, like, a storage unit somewhere. Yeah. Well, no, he moved it from his storage unit to his um, museum in in Vegas, which we need to do a whole thing on, too, because it's pretty cool. So, we spend, I think, way too much of our time looking up things that are related to ghost adventures and that thing. <laughs> but it's a re- all really cool, interesting things. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I and mean, if you're a, a fan of just, like, anything paranormal or spooky, it's definitely, I would say, the best show out there to watch for it. Yeah. And I apologize for the um, napkin rustling. I wiped some Kahlua off the table and my hands were sticky and I wasn't even thinking. So, if you hear the rustling of my hands, that's what it was. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all the horribly terrifying things that come along with the demon house and the creepy things in Gary, Indiana. There are still a lot of people to this day who claim that it was all a bunch of like hocus pocus. Uh, A lot of people think that the family were in like dire straits, which they were. They were pretty low on money, but they think that they did that solely to get some cash. But they're not like rich now or anything it's not like no and and also um just given how many people have no connection to the family whatsoever that have had things happen to them as a result of that like the case manager that we talked about that was in the room with them when she witnessed the youngest boy like climb up the wall valerie right yeah valerie she moved like she completely uprooted her life quit her job quit her job and um when they interview her she's like in intensive therapy because of it like it gave her some like serious trauma and she had to like confront like her faith and stuff like Mm -hmm. head on because she said it was so real and inexplicable so although like you can say yeah i'm sure this was like a ploy for money i mean they wanted nothing to do with zach a lot of people think that was because they were in cahoots with another massive hollywood movie production studio but i haven't seen a movie but i've yet to see a movie about that um so who knows I mean, all I know is they wanted absolutely nothing to do with him, and once they got out, they did not look back. No. And even, like, they were so freaked out. I said we were done, but we're not done yet. So in the Demon House movie that Zach does, like, her brother, Latoya's brother, will he does speak with Zach. And after he gets done speaking with Zach and going, like, hadn't gone to the house, they wouldn't let him back in their apartment because they were afraid that even just speaking with him, because Zach had been in the house... He might have brought something with him. So they were legitimately scarred and scared and traumatized enough where they they wanted nothing to do with anybody who'd been in there, nothing to do with anybody who was talking about it. I mean, it was scary enough to them that they were they were ready to cut ties with yeah. people. And I'll just point. briefly mention this because I just remembered it like right now. But um, in the movie, he invites I think they like drive past it but someone who had lived in the house before Latoya's family mm-hmm. um and her children she's super sweet super cute um they stop and they're like oh we haven't been here in a long time like this I is my childhood home yeah. and he does like a walkthrough with them and the kids look like a little freaked out and like um but excited she, yeah like I mean nothing weird really happened during that except like she felt like some weird like uh kick on the back for later something that could be explained but after that, I think within like a couple weeks. No, it was a couple days. Or like a couple days, the oldest daughter had like this, once again, mental breakdown. And what she said that she wanted to like kill her mom. And that 
was and then was found like with her wrist slit thank mm-hmm. god she survived but she was found with like her wrist slit in her bedroom and um zach accompanied them to perform an exorcism yeah. on her because how did they, we forget about that? i completely forgot about that until this moment but it's hard like unless we were to sit down and watch the movie and like take notes there's not really much on it if you like look up articles about the movie so you just no. kind of have to like memorize yeah. it but um yeah that's a crazy part of it too it's just there's so many people that are involved that aren't even related to Latoya or her mother that have yeah. had so many weird things happen. And yeah, it was, I, I would not have gone in there. No, and, and I like not. to go to creepy places. So, mm-hmm. um, but that is our episode for the week. Uh, we will be taking a small hiatus for a week because we are taking vacation to New Orleans. We leave Sunday night. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, but because we are going to New Orleans, we thought that would be a great opportunity for us to do a few Facebook lives when we're down there. Um, we know for sure we're going to try and do an up-close-and-personal visit to the LaLaurie Mansion. And when I say up-close-and-personal, I mean probably from the sidewalk outside. <laughs> because I don't know, unless I can do some um, serious convincing, if we can actually get inside. But that would be awesome if we could. But um, if you haven't done so yet, you should... Uh, yeah, listen to episode one on the LaLaurie Mansion, just so you can know what we're talking about if we do go live, which I'm sure we're planning on doing. Yeah. So you can just, like... It'll be cool for you to, like, see it, actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but now would be a great time for you to listen to that. Uh, that way you're all caught up when we do go live. And until then, thank you for listening to the Monsters and Mixtures podcast. Don't forget to like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Please leave a five-star review or rating. And share your stories with us via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or through Monsters and Mixers podcast on Facebook. We'll see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts. And make some toasts.